If you could go back in time and give yourself one sage piece of advice, what would it be? I'm Sam East, and this is Lessons to My Younger Self, the podcast. What does the work look like to be a better ally to marginalized groups? To recognize harmful behavior, not just in others, but in yourself too. You might sense that there's been a real shift in awareness over the last couple years, especially throughout the pandemic. And luckily for us, we have educators like Benji Cousy to help navigate the many nuances that exist in these spaces. Benji is an inclusion and well-being consultant who's gained a massive following online, helping people unpack microaggressions, racism, homophobia, gender identity, and a ton of other very important and layered conversations. The ones that even the most well-intentioned people may shy away from because of the complex and vulnerable nature of these topics. But people gravitate to Benji's content because he takes these complex issues and brilliantly breaks things down in a way that's easy to grasp. In a world that's become quick to cancel, Benji invites us to both learn and unlearn with grace and accountability and kindness too. I had the privilege to chat with Benji early this year and I'm so excited for you to hear more of his insight. <laughs> well, since this is lessons to my younger self, we always, we go back to the beginning. Can you paint the picture of what Benji was like as, as a young person, as a kid? Loud. very 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 loud loud in in voice um but also just loud in terms of expression and I wore like loads of wild outfits that I really regret now um (laughs) but I've always just been someone who's been very expressive so that's what Benji was like you couldn't miss him well I mean I don't think you've you've lost a lot of that as an adult from what I can see as an outsider (laughs) I think over time I have kind of mellowed out and Mm -hmm. and really just focused almost like you know when you you write something and then like the first draft is never the finished product right it's always the second draft the third draft I feel like this is like Benji version like like 102 (laughs) Mm, and And welcome And more to come, exactly. And with each one, I've kind of like toned down a little bit, but also just like concentrated and and made the Benji source more potent and more focused. Mm. Yeah. We know that there's a lot of both learning and unlearning that's going on right now, especially within the last two years Mm -hmm. on some topics such as anti-racism, inclusivity, gender norms, and then the, the language and the tone and the behaviors that we have and we use So what made you want to be an educator in this space? Was there sort of like a light bulb moment that went off where you realized that you wanted to use your voice in your platform? Yeah, there definitely, there was a bit of a slow burn. And then there was definitely, uh, you know, a catalyst that drove me to be like, okay, I'm just going to go for it. So Mm. the slow burn was, um, so I worked in advertising um, for that's my background. I worked um, for a media agency. So I started a diversity network at my agency with some friends of mine. And that was because there were certain experiences that we were having in the workplace and certain issues that we were facing, which we felt weren't being addressed. You could say it was almost selfish. It was very much like, you know, we have these things that we want, you know, to be seen and we want to achieve certain things and we want our voice to be heard and it's not being heard. And so we are better, we are stronger together 
So let's band mm-hmm. together, let's start a network and let's really advocate for ourselves. It was all about kind of driving awareness and educating. So I did lots of um, the education side of things. So all around, you know, the importance of inclusion, um, especially inclusion of people like me. So people who are black, people who are part of the LGBTQIA plus community and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I very much never really saw that as something I could do, I could pursue in in and of itself um i was i've I've never really seen myself as being like an activist so to speak it was just more of a kind of like there is a need and i have the power to address it for myself and for others within this small community we call a company and so i'm going to do that um and so i did that for two years and then the catalyst which i'm sure i speak to so many creatives now and like I'm, i'm sure your story is the same in terms of this podcast the catalyst was COVID and lockdown and all of that, right? Which I'm sure this came out of that, right? It was yeah. birthed in the in the pandemic. Yep. <laughs> there we go. So you know, it's 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 such a strange thing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But it's so I feel so almost a bit guilty about saying that that moment in time, which was so horrific for so many people, and it still mm-hmm. is, it's still going, right? The pandemic is mm-hmm. still here, was actually beneficial for me in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it allowed me to kind of really stop and think about, you know, my purpose. Like, what do I want? What do I really want to be doing? Because nothing is promised, mm-hmm. right? I was coasting. I was in this rat race. You know, I woke up at five thirty every morning. I went to the mm-hmm. gym. I got to work early. I did the work. I, you know, did my diversity network stuff. But like, you know, that was kind of on the side. And then I, you know, went out for drinks and I went to bed and I did it all over again. And then the world stopped. And obviously there was a resurgence of BLM and suddenly just the things that mattered really kind of rose to the surface. Mm-hmm. And I just realized that actually I don't, I'm good at my job, but it's not really what lights my fire. It's not really what I feel like really truly matters to me. And mm-hmm. actually I have been kind of selfish in thinking about, you know, these issues from a very kind of local, you know, company environment you know, focused perspective. And actually mm. there were so many people out there like me who, you know, have their voice, have, have, you need to be heard, right? Have issues that need to be brought to the surface. And there's, I could be having so much more of a wider and stronger impact than what I'm doing right now. So I quit my job and I went to go and study HR um, with the idea that my original thought was that I could go back into the world of media and advertising, but as like a HR lead or a HR consultant or a diversity manager or something like that, where Mm -hmm. I actually have the power to change things and have an impact. Um, And then at some point during that time I was studying, I started making videos and then here we are. (laughs) It's so interesting to me that, you know, I picked up that you used words like guilt or, or it was selfish that you took this path. But I think I mean, the fact that you are, because it it takes a lot of emotional labor and energy to put this content into the world. You have a gift and you're sharing it with people, decidedly so. You did that with intention and purpose. And so I see no selfishness in that. We we need more of this, more than ever. Thank you. Thank you so much. There is... um, an educator and an activist. Uh, Her name is Kiosha Love. She's based out of Toronto. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had a chance to interview her a couple years ago. And she spoke about how it's not the job of your Black friend or your non-binary friend or your friend with a disability and so forth to teach you about, you know, the history and the challenges that these groups may face because it comes with a lot of emotional labor, reliving these experiences. 
Now you, Benji, you are always so graciously tackling a ton of different topics. Does that ever feel like emotional labor to you, especially with that instantaneous feedback that you get being on a platform like TikTok? Yeah, I definitely do feel like sometimes it is it is labor, but I think for me it's like it, it's labor that I consent to doing mm, and mm-hmm. actually labor that I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um I always say this um on my live streams uh, that I I don't live to struggle. I I live to enjoy and to thrive mm. and like so anything that I actively choose to do it's because I want to do it, right? It's not obviously, an obligation. Right. Now, obviously, that is very idealistic. There are many mm-hmm. things that I do in life because I have to and I don't enjoy it. But, like, mm-hmm. that's my mentality. It's that, you know, I don't have to struggle. I shouldn't be, you know, be kind of valuing and pursuing struggle. I should be looking to stretch myself, of course. But... Mm-hmm. If I can, if I have the autonomy to make decisions that I want, you know, then I'm going to do that. So what I do online and, and, you know, and what I do as a consultant in my day to day is because I want to do it. Um, But that's me as Benji. And I feel like a lot of people have this assumption that marginalized individuals have this innate desire to educate others on their experience or even worse, that marginalized individuals, you know, that you are doing you are doing them a favor right by asking them about their experience right and getting mm. them to educate you and ultimately that is not the case to do that is to objectify us right oh, yes. I, you know i am i am not my skin color i am not my 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 gender identity i'm not my sexual orientation those things inform my my perspective and my experiences right but they don't, it's not just that that makes me who I am. There are so many other things. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, it's really objectifying when people just take you at face value and go, oh, so you're X, Y, Z. So tell me about all the struggles that you face. So just uh, like, I just want to know, you know? I'm overwhelmed just hearing that question. <laughs> right. And, and the thing is like, and, and even with me, I am happy to do it, you know, when I'm in work mode. So when I'm online, work mode, you know, if I'm, you know, doing a talk, like then, yeah, work mode, you know, ask me whatever you want want to ask me within reason. But Mm -hmm. if I'm at the bar, you know, if it's happy hour or if I'm at the beach, do you know what I mean? Uh Don't come and ask me about how to be anti-racist. Like I, I, it's not the time. Has it happened? (laughs) Yes. Oh no. Oh no. All the time. I, I think, yeah, I'm always gracious, especially if it's like somebody who, um, follows me online. Yes. And they want to have a conversation about something. I mean, that's a bit different. Like uh, the, the 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 boundaries, the lines kind of blur, right? Because mm-hmm. you're seeing me as like Benji, who you follow online and you appreciate my work and X, Y, Z. So I'm happy to have a conversation in that respect, right? But however, you know, I do get just, you know, random strangers who don't know me in that, you know, in that aspect. They just know me as a black guy who is at the bar and they want me to talk about how I how I feel about, you know, uh, you know, 
systemic racism and, and all these things. And I'm like, I'm just trying to get, you know, my drink in before this happy hour ends. I, if I don't get a mojito in me stat, you know, I'm going to cry. This is what I'm here to do. Um, I just requested Beyonce at the DJ booth for like, I actually don't have time to run through this with you. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's a little more deep than that. I have some boundaries, you know, like you got to respect. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh and, you know, and you know what makes me like, what makes me really kind of angry almost hmm. is that there are so many resources out there. There are so many resources. At your fingertips. At your fingertips right yeah I, yeah I am a, i am a resource like i have a whole tiktok page you can scroll through my videos where i answer all these questions and i am one of many people who are doing this online never mind the books you could read the documentaries you could watch at your leisure the articles you could peruse if you really wanted to do the work you would be doing it right mm, there mm-hmm. is no need for you to be putting that weight on a random person on the street or someone you work with who is just trying to go about their day and you know and live there's no excuse for it wow that uh that just really drove the point home about boundary setting i think mm-hmm. um the the line like you said is blurred because when you become this unintentionally this public figure online and you build this platform yeah. Some people don't, you know, while they may be well-intentioned, might not understand that boundary that exists. Yeah. Even if it is a bit uncomfortable, like if someone does come up and they're like, hey, I, you know, I follow you and I want you to unpack this video for me. Like I kind of am able to be like, you know what, like they're doing it that even if the impact is like uncomfortable, like that I see their intent there and it's genuine, you know, mm-hmm. and so I'm just going to, you know, smile and and you know and 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 do it and have the conversation right um but i i feel like it's because i do have a desire to do that work mm-hmm. um and i do it because others shouldn't have to do that you know mm. depending on the day or whatever's going on in your world that could be a weight to carry for you yeah it is it is but you know it it what drives me is thinking about you know, I get I get messages all the time from people who are like, someone asked me, um, someone touched my hair in the office and, you know, I was just about to, you know, explain why they shouldn't do that. And actually mm. what I did instead was just politely send them a link to your video where you talk about why that's not okay really? and, and ask them to just, and ask them to watch it and then come back to me. And they got it. Mm. And you and you save me that kind of that awkwardness. You save me that tension. And you save me doing that labor. And that warms my heart so much. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what keeps me going. You know, in many ways, I do what I do because in a strange way, I feel like if someone like me was out there doing this and I'd seen them, maybe I wouldn't be on the path that I am on now. And that's mm. actually probably a, a good thing if that makes sense yeah that must totally reaffirm the decision that you made two plus years ago in the beginning of the pandemic to refocus your life in this direction when someone says they used you as a resource (laughs) yeah yeah i mean like it's it's so amazing for me to be able to work hard um, at something that i'm just like so passionate about and that mm-hmm. other people value, and that is actually kind of a viable way for me to kind of live. Um, mm-hmm. That in itself is such a privilege. 
You mentioned that follower of yours who used your video to explain to a coworker why it's harmful, why it's inappropriate for someone to touch your hair. And for some, that's a, a term that we're now becoming acquainted with called a microaggression. Collectively, it really feels like people are starting to understand the, the true impact of the microaggressions. From your perspective, though, what are some microaggressions that are still really pervasive today that require a lot more unlearning? Oh, that is a that is such a, a good question. Micro microaggressions that I see occur that people just don't necessarily even even think about mm-hmm. is making making stereotypical assumptions about others just based on identity factors and not even just like you know identity factors that you are aware of but kind of just what you perceive so one thing that is really huge in the UK is um class and socioeconomic status um and there is so much there's there's like the wealth gap is huge in the uk and the class divide is is massive and um people who are disadvantaged in you know in that aspect of diversity um have a really hard time and so people will hear somebody like me speak and then make certain assumptions about you know my background and where I come from you know and make comments like oh yeah so you speak you speak really well <laughs> what's that you're very what's, articulate what's that That's about yeah. what's, <laughs> what's that about what's oh, that wow. about <laughs> and and, mm. and and what it is is that like they hear me and so they're like okay you sound like you're to me you sound like you're like really wealthy and educated but then I'm seeing your skin and and you're you're black and that kind of that contradicts, and so I'm wow. I'm, I'm confused now. Yeah, so that's still happening to you today. Yes, all the time, all the time. Oh my gosh. Mm. And ha- and how does that feel? Time. As as much as you know, and how aware and conscious you are, how does that feel for you? I think for me, I see it as because of what I do, I see it as an opportunity. Mm. That's so I, gracious of you. I see it as an opportunity. I genuinely do, though, because mm. ultimately, um, you know privilege is intersectional like you know you can have so many disadvantages and so many privileges so even though i have i'm disadvantaged in terms of like you know my race and my sexual orientation um i hold privilege in terms of gender i hold privilege in terms of education level um Mm. and in so many other ways so basically what i'm trying to say is that i have the capacity to use that experience which you know is negative um and turn it into a positive and be like hey you know let's sit down and unpack why you feel that because of what i look like i shouldn't sound the way that i sound um and let's actually have a discussion about it you know because i feel like it would benefit you and it would benefit me as well to kind of you know to get understanding of where that rationale comes from so when it happens again i have a you know a greater and deeper understanding of you know why people think that way and and this Mm. and this is something that i i do i do tend to do i go you know i disagree with what you're saying but actually i just want to unpack it um and just understand where you're coming from and so that's why i really try and do but especially because what they're saying even though it is backhanded it's still kind of meant to be a compliment in a way, in a, in a strange way. Um, mm-hmm. And I've definitely had, like seen people who have accents, so accents that people perceive to be kind of of a lower socioeconomic standing. And they've had like comments made that I just 
out and out like prejudiced and like meant to you know be derogatory um and in that position you know those those people have less autonomy and are less able to to really kind of turn that experience into a positive one so I feel like it is kind of my duty in a way you know if someone if I'm noticing that 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 bias is being expressed but it's not necessarily being expressed to disparage me so it's quite so to speak um I should use the opportunity to educate that person so they don't go and make that comment to somebody else um in a way that could have more of a kind of a greater negative impact on that than it will on me I want to touch on just some of the topics that you cover on your platform, because like we've been referencing here, you help people understand and unlearn how and why some of their behaviors might be harmful. So one that you really go through, you get into, is that quote that's been circulating for God knows how long at this point that says, we all have the same 24 hours. It wasn't until I came across that video of yours that I realized how little consideration that super popular quote has for certain marginalized groups. Can you explain how and why that actually is harmful? Yes, I definitely can. And yes, it's, it's something that I could talk about uh, forever because it is so, <laughs> so important that we don't have this perspective on um, achievement and mm-hmm. because we don't all start from the same point. So essentially, uh, you know, the quote, we all have the same 24 hours or sometimes people say, oh, we, we all have the same 24 hours as Beyonce. Let's leave Beyonce out of it. You know, she's, uh, she's done so much for culture, uh, you know, yes. let's not bring her into this. Okay. But anyway, I'm a huge Beyonce fan. Um, Me too. The, the, right. Yeah. I mean, the, she isn't. The, what, it, what they're trying to say is that if you want to achieve something in life, um, you need to get up off your couch and go and, and, you know, and try and achieve it because mm. we all have the same amount of hours in the day. And so there are no excuses. If you really want to achieve something, you should go out there, you should grind and work hard and then you will get it because everyone who has the things that you have, have worked hard for what they have and they've used their 24 hours wisely. And the thing is, is that that, has a sentiment of truth to it in a sense that many things in life require hard work and they Mm -hmm. don't in fact most of the things that you desire whether it's in your career whether it's in your personal life uh you know they require you to actually put effort in to get them that's true for most people However, that is totally ignoring the fact that whilst we all have the same amount of time in the day, we don't all have the same access. We don't all have the same resources, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't all have the same kind of priorities, okay? To use those 24 hours and maximize them, okay? Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, if I'm saying that, okay, I want to be, my goal is to be a millionaire. I want to be a millionaire. I want to have a million pounds in my bank account. That is arguably a lot easier for me as someone who is 26, so young. You know, I'm a single person. I don't have a partner. I don't have children. Um, I don't have parents that I look after. You know, I have savings. All these things, right, are factors about me that would make me more able to achieve my goal of, of getting a million, a million pounds, even though that is 
really hard to do, right? Then somebody who is, you know, maybe my age, but, you know, hasn't had the opportunity to go to university at all, that has um, a partner, that has several children, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that is disabled and has a disability, and therefore can't, you know, do certain, do certain jobs or, um, you know, enter certain rooms um, and that sort of thing. So we don't, we are not all the same. And when you say that, you know, everyone has the same 24 hours, what you're doing is erasing the structures of oppression, right? That face certain groups, certain social communities. And you're saying that ultimately you were in the position that you were in because of you. It is your fault and no one else's. And that is just not the case at all. Um, And so what we need to be, we need to reframe, you know, that everyone has seen 24 hours um, to be something that we say in a way of like, we will have the same amount of time on this earth. What are you doing to not only improve your life, but improve the lives of the people around you? Mm, right. I love that. People want to people want to cling on to like a catchy soundbite like the yeah. like everyone has the same 24 hours in the day, but that's yeah. that's the juice right there. That's what it should be. Yeah. If if you want to say that we all have the same 24 hours, we do. We do. But we don't all have the same, you know, ability to use them in the same way to achieve mm-hmm. the same things. So if we want to be, you know, focusing on this this time as a resource, you know, um, you know, perspective on the world, then how about people who have um, the ability and the resource and the access to use their 24 hours in, in a way, you know, that is going to achieve, allow them to achieve more, um, to then do that in a way that benefits those who don't have that privilege, right? Mm. How about we actually be aware of our privilege and the hours and access that we do have and we use it to benefit others as well as ourselves. How about we do that? The reframing on this is so necessary. You know, it's so, so important that we all, you know, really are honest with ourselves about the privileges that we do have and mm-hmm. realize that, you know, privilege is not, doesn't make you a bad person to have privilege. It doesn't necessarily even mean that you have an easy life. It just mm-hmm. means that there are certain people that face certain obstacles that you don't. Exactly. And, and that's all it is, you know, even Beyonce faces certain obstacles being a black woman in, you know, in the music industry, even mm-hmm. though she obviously has so many other privileges that we can never even dream of having, right? <laughs> um, but, every, you know, right? But everyone mm-hmm. has certain privileges. Everyone has certain disadvantages. And it's about being, all, all of us being open and honest about that rather than trying to gloss over the cracks. Another topic that you have enlightened so many people on is queer baiting, which is a very mm. sort of insidious tactic that a lot of us might not even realize is happening. Can you help us understand how we can spot it and explain why it is damaging? Queer baiting, essentially, it's a term that comes from um, TV shows and like movies. And essentially, it's when TV writers, for example, will try to draw in an an audience that is LGBTQIA plus 
by kind of having two characters, by heavily hinting that two characters are, you know, not straight, right? Or not cis. Having lingering glances and suggestive, you know, phrases and and all of this. And and that I and then it never actually comes into fruition. Um, mm. it, it never actually occurs. Um, they even do it sometimes with with like like just like so like solo individuals so they will um imply that a character is you know not straight uh in order to draw in a certain audience but then won't actually um portray that person as being you know actually not straight and Hmm. the thing the thing is is that it's harmful because it's really um using you know, the desire that, you know, members of the, you know, LGBTQIA plus community um, and also just members of any, many marginalized communities have to see themselves represented on screen um, as a way to, you know, drive uh, viewership. Mm-hmm. And and it's something that happens in music as well. For example, um, certain artists will imply that they are, I don't know, bi or something, to get a certain audience. Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl. Would that yes. be considered queer baiting? Oh, 100%. That's the perfect example of that. And it's it's to benefit the individual. Um, and it's actually to, to make kind of a, a mockery of something that is not only an authentic experience, but for some quite, you know, a, a, you know, a really traumatizing experience, right? Um, mm. You know, many people are, you know, are actually thinking, oh, do I, you know, like girls, for example? And then Katy Perry's using it as like a catchy hook for a song um, and isn't actually, you know, from what we, you know, can see, actually isn't a member of the community. I think it's it's a way that mem- the community is objectified and, and used. Mm. And it happens in so many other ways as well. For example, I never get it when pride month comes around i mean i get it but like it's just like so weird to me that pride month comes around and all of these companies and brands like plaster rainbow of everything and are like look see look hey hey look oh my gosh do you love this right you love this rainbow come and buy um and that in itself is it's it's queer basing in a sense that it's essentially there's no authentic intention behind it all it is is you're saying, hey, hey, gay, you come and, you know, come and benefit me um, without actually, you know, even though I have no actual authentic intention to see you as like a, a real person or a collection mm. of real people who have real valid experiences. So I think this might be a tricky thing for maybe even a well-intentioned person or company or corporation who could be listening to this right now with Pride Month thinking, should I continue to put up the rainbow flag knowing what I I just learned about queerbaiting? Do I go ahead and do the social media campaign, change all the the social handles and profile pictures to have the rainbow? Now being aware of queerbaiting, is that something you think people should stop doing? Oh, see, this is the thing though, because Mm. ultimately I don't think that I don't think there's necessarily one right way to advocate. I mean, I'm sure there are many wrong ways, but I think I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that um, I 
would rather that a company just didn't have a rainbow up at all and just did nothing. Um, mm. A rainbow is better than nothing. I guess mm. it is just, you know, making it aware that we shouldn't, as marginalized people, no matter what group you're in, shouldn't be settling for the bare minimum right mm-hmm. and and taking that as as enough so it's like the rainbow is where you start that that's that's the that's the starting point uh can't be the, the finish point it, it, exactly it cannot yes. be the finish point and um when i worked in advertising something that we would always say is that if you want to do a pride month campaign you need to be thinking about not just pride month but also the rest of your year. What's the, what is your media plan for the year? How are you going to speak to this audience all year round? Mm-hmm. Um, because not only is it transparent, right? What you're doing, if you just do it during Pride Month, right? Uh, you're not having any real kind of positive impact if you just yeah. pop up, you know, in June. Um, mm-hmm. So what I would say to any company, if you actually really from and you know and notice how i'm not shying away from the business from the business case mm-hmm. um i think the business case for you know diversity and being aware of diversity and the benefits it can have right or having a um feeding it into a business strategy i feel like that's fine that's totally fine do you know what i mean like i feel like we it's good that we we need to be seen in, in stuff like marketing and you're right um and be marketed to right um, and that benefits us because of visibility. Um, and then also it benefits businesses because yeah, like, you know, capitalism, all that stuff. Right. Um, but I would say that if you want to have a real impact, make sure that you are actually speaking up throughout the year, you're advocating mm-hmm. all the time because we are always here. We don't just exist. We don't just like disappear after prime month has ended. Right. Um, yep. and if you, if you are finding that tough, to get your head around, it means that your team or your company, your organization, your your C-suite, your board is not diverse enough. Mm. Because, you know, I would hope and assume that, you know, most members of the community would tell you this. And if they had the power, they would make sure that it wasn't just the rainbow in June. What would you say is a best practice for allyship? There are some people out there who are ready to do the work, but even sometimes we talk a lot about intention, but even with the best intentions, they may throw their hands up if they're simply unsure of how to approach that allyship. So what's the best practice here for being a better ally? Mm-hmm. I I would say that a core principle of allyship is to center the community you are looking to be an ally towards, right? and not to center yourself. It can Mm -hmm. be really easy to be like, I'm an ally and I, you know, I hate racism and I'm anti-racist. And so I am gonna do what I can to, you know, um, help people of color and to be like a strong advocate for racial equality. And that's all great. That's all good. Like that's all positive and that's lovely. However, if you do all that, but then don't actually realize that you need to be then prioritizing the needs of the community you're looking to serve. So in this context, you, you if you should be prioritizing the needs of people of color and what they need from you, mm-hmm. as opposed to what you can give to them, your allyship mm-hmm. is going to be self-serving and ineffective. 
ultimately. Mm-hmm. And so a great example of that is, and you know, going back to microaggressions, I always say that if you are looking to intervene as an ally, when a microaggression is occurring, you always need to be prioritizing the safety of the person who is, you know, who is the victim in that scenario, right? And you should be supporting their autonomy and their voice. I.e., if something is happening and they are, you can, and you can, and they haven't said anything, before you barge in and go, there, look, you shouldn't have done that to them, X, Y, Z, think about it critically and think, okay, why are they not saying anything? Is maybe it's a situation not safe for them, right? Mm. Or is it a situation where it's not comfortable for them to do so, right? If if you still want to say something, make it about you. Say, I don't feel comfortable that that happened, right? Don't speak on their behalf. Don't speak on their behalf. Ex- exactly, exactly. Yeah. Because okay. when you barge in and you put your cape on and you go, woo, I'm about to save X, Y, Z, you're just centering yourself. You're priority, mm. prioritizing you and, and your needs and, and not the person you're looking to be an ally towards. Also, do you know what that means? It means that if you are corrected, you take that correction. Yeah. Even if it's uncomfortable. Yes, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's embarrassing, even if you feel like you are hard done by because you were just trying to do a good thing. If, you know, someone says to you, hey, what you said was, you know, had a negative impact on me because X, Y, Z, or you, you know, what you did, you know, was incorrect or wrong. You take it as a learning experience, right? and you do mm-hmm. better next time, you don't go, oh, you know, but I'm an ally and, you know, I'm on your side. So, you know, I'm beyond correction because you're not. Mm. The the um, educator and activist that I referred to earlier, Kiosha Love, she said, operate from a place of radical compassion. Mm. Yes. And I am such a strong advocate for, yeah, radical compassion, radical self-care. Um, do you know Tara Brock? um yes like oh a- i'm taking her courses right now mindfulness yes <gasps> love tara brock yes yeah um i always say that i summarize my content in just one word essentially it's helping others be kind to themselves so they can be kind to others and that's it there, there's a delicate balance in this though you know in this shift in consciousness that we're mm. in one of the beautiful things that's come out of the shift is well, number one, people are becoming more aware of harmful behavior and can adjust yeah. them accordingly. Number two, they're perhaps more emboldened to speak out like you refer to on injustices and inequities, perhaps even on a public scale if they feel so inclined. But on the other end of this uh, maybe spectrum of awareness, if, if we could call it that, what I've observed, even with myself, I can admit, is that I'm sometimes unsure if I should or how I should speak on a topic in the event that I may offend someone, I may Mm. say the wrong thing, I may inadvertently do or say something harmful because I've seen how swift and how harsh comments and cancel culture can be. So how do we, you know, if the intention here is is to become a better ally, how do we walk that line? Because it feels like the pendulum can swing so quickly. Oh, you know what? It, it it's hard. It, it really is hard, and it takes it takes bravery. To be honest with you, it takes bravery, and it also takes learning how to apologize. Hmm. I yeah, think there's an art form in that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. 
I think, you know, it's about realizing that um, these situations that we find ourselves in are messy, they are precarious, and they aren't, it's never going to end up exactly how you want it, right? The lines Mm -hmm. drawn aren't perfectly straight. And so you may, in walking the line, you may cross it. And what you need to realize is that, like, even if your intent is good, your impact may be negative. And so what all you can do in that situation is be accountable for your actions, the impact of your actions, and know how to take accountability and how to apologize um, and how to take every experience as a learning opportunity to do better. You spoke about impact versus intent. Yes. As in you may not mean to hurt or harm or offend someone, but you end up doing so anyway. Can you help people understand this? Because I see a lot of um, frustration from someone, again, who might mean well, but is simply ignorant to their impact. Again, I, I, you know, I do feel like a lot of that comes from um, centering yourself and, mm-hmm. and seeing yourself as a center of the universe and, and not realizing that um, every act, everything that you do has an impact on somebody else that is disconnected from your intent. Um, and, you know, impact over intent, intent is important. Intent, you know, matters. Don't get me wrong. Authentic intention is powerful, but it's not everything. And ultimately, if we're talking about, you know, how we treat others in the best way, in the kindest way, we need to be looking at the impact of what we do rather than the intent and actually realizing that, you know, that actually enables us to be kinder to ourselves. Because if you realize that, you know, if you have a negative impact on somebody else, it doesn't reflect your intention. It means that you're not inherently a bad person, right? It's just the, the action that you did had a negative, was negative, had a negative impact mm-hmm. on somebody. And so all you need to do is kind of, again, take accountability for it and make sure that you are doing better next time. Here in North yeah. America, as we're recording this right now, we're wrapping up Black History Month and mm. it's been really wonderful to see, you know, Black people say, yes, we are honoring the history and the many challenges associated with that, but we are also celebrating Black joy and Black futures. And you've done some content on this, I know. So Mm. can you share how you find joy and how you lean into optimism as a marginalized person? I think about the fact that everything that I have been told by the world, you know, is a weakness, is in many ways my strength uh, there's that classic corny very cheesy saying that goes you know no one is you and that is your power right um but it's true it, it's it's so so true and it's the things that make us different that make us unique um that are, that are the things that actually um make us powerful and i think we are the reason why, you know, as a marginalized person, you may see your identity as something to, you know, feel down about is because the world is telling you that it's not of value. Um, that, you know, you would, your life would be so much better because it would be in many ways better if you were, you know, um, the norm in many ways. Right. Mm. But actually what we need to be realizing is that, 
there is no way I, I can't, you know, suddenly go and change the color of my skin. I can't change my sexual orientation. I can't change my gender identity. What I can change is, you know, I can try and change people's perspectives, right, on my identity. But before that, what's a lot easier is just changing my own outlook, right, on who I am mm -hmm. and how that serves me. And so that's how I... And I'm able to maintain an optimistic perspective on the world is because I lean into my strengths, i.e. I lean into who I am and what makes me different to everybody else around me. Um, it is the fact that I have this lived experience as, you know, a Black um, queer individual, right? It is because um, I have the heritage that I do have. And um, it is because I have this, like, you know, super loud, sometimes annoying personality. Um, these are all things that are making me different. And actually, if I lean into them, as I, I do try and lean into them, it actually makes me stand out and it makes me, you know, of value to many people. And doing that is a lot more beneficial and actually just a lot more fun and a lot nicer um, than trying to put yourself down for your differences and trying your best to blend in. Uh, when in reality, that's ultimately, you know, going to be to your detriment and ultimately be unsuccessful. So finally, before we let you go, we always wrap with this every episode. If, if you could go back in time to any version of a younger Benji with all that you know and experience today, what lesson would you pass on to him? I would say don't, you know, go with the flow. Hmm. Don't just coast. And when I say don't coast, if you are working very hard and you are expending a lot of energy um, doing, you know, trying to do everything that people say you should be doing. And, you know, while you may feel like that is going to get you to where you need to be, it's nothing like energy and effort is nothing without purpose and direction. And it's actually when you find that, that you're actually going to be able to fully maximize your potential. And if you sit down for a moment and slow down, your purpose in life will become clear to you. But you need to sit down and think about it and stop running around doing a hundred things at once. A hundred of those 101 things are things that are not aligned with your purpose and aren't actually fulfilling you. So yeah, that's what I would say. Oh, that was so good. Thank you, Benji. Thank you for having me on here. Um, it, that was, yeah, such an amazing conversation. And I'm just so privileged to have been invited on. Oh, he is a delight. Thank you, Benji. Go follow him at Benji underscore lookbook on TikTok to take in the regular content that he posts. Brilliant resource, honestly. Next episode, we hear from trauma specialist, Dr. Christy Gibson, another eye-opening conversation that'll teach you so much on the power of resilience. That's next week on Lessons to My Younger Self. <laughs>